Hey guys, it's Emmett. Welcome to Exhaust, your weekly podcast about why nothing feels possible. Today, I have repeat guest, default friend with me. How's it going, DF? Pretty good. It's very warm here in Chicago, which is weird as fuck. I'm, I'm, my wife and I are, are fighting our landlords over our mold problem. So we're having a, a lot of fun these last couple of weeks. So that's how it is in LA because it is also getting more humid here. But none of that's germane to what we're going to talk about, which is this fantastic essay that was either you or Tim Wilcox told me about a while ago called A Rape in Cyberspace. And it's from 1993. It was published in the Villa's Voice by, what's the other's name? Julian Bell? Julian DeBell. DeBell. Okay. And it is like one of the most prophetic things I've read from the early internet era. It's, it's, I feel like I have referenced this piece so many times now. So I'm like very excited to have a dedicated conversation about it. Yeah. So the the subtitle for the piece is how an evil clown, a Haitian trickster spirit, two wizards and a cast of a dozen of dozens turned a database into a society. Which is somehow like both weirder and not as weird as the actual situation that takes place here. So this happens in just to lay it out so that listeners who haven't read it can track what we're going to end up talking about. There is a multi-user dimension. That's what they're called, right? MUD, that's what it stands for. Yeah, or uh, or dungeon, depending on who you ask. Dungeon, right. Yeah, and this one's a moo, so it's a multi-user dimension, object-oriented, which basically, is my understanding, is like set around like an actual setting that's been coded into where the form takes place. And this one's in a house. And the house, it's a mansion, it has some grounds, but the way it works is you can go into different rooms and it will, you know, sort of type out for you what you're looking at, who's in the room, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a community that's gathered around this space. Interestingly, a lot of them are into like Foucault and Deleuze. Some of them, many of them are grad students and stuff like that. And they're hanging out in this house. And to this guy, this user, I should say, Mr. Bungle has this thing called a voodoo doll which ascribes to users actions in the space that they themselves are not doing and proceeds to ascribe basically like self-harm and rape to several users in the space. And then eventually he's stopped by somebody who gets called in and has like some sort of programming power to put a cessation to it. And then there's the big question in the community of what to do with Mr. Bungle after this, which Julian refers to throughout as the Bungle affair. I think commenting on the Dreyfus affair, which split families in half over a certain French officer's actions, I think in the 19th century, straight down the middle. And it is that sort of effect that Julian wants to take a look at as this community tries to figure out what to do. Is that a pretty good summation of what happens here? Yeah, I, I, I would not have been able to do it as eloquently. Well, well, thank you. And so first off, like when I started reading this, I was immediately having memories of my own internet, like 1.5 experience happen. Like I remember being in something like a moo 
in a forum on the Gaia on Wantline website where you have like a little character and the more you post, you could get things to put on it. Sort of like a Neopets thing, right? Where you would create like text-based spaces for people to hang out in. And I was immediately thinking like, already the internet feels way older than we talk about it as being in reading this piece. It's it's weird how much we we like we just seem to deliberately forget about the internet. We think of it as like a young person's domain, like oh, it belongs to Gen Z. Well, I mean, no, it doesn't <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Like that's the. I mean, I guess you know when I think back to or when I I look at the world that Julian is looking at in this right where the like this server that hosts this mansion this moo this place where people hang out is in like xerox park and some people put it there just to kind of see what would happen and the way that people debate about what to do with mr bungle right so we have different factions we have the sort of anarchists we have the libertarians we have the wizards who are sort of the actual coders the people with access to the skeleton the architecture of this space that can boot people permanently. And then you have the sort of like liberalists or whatever, everybody's bringing their own ideological ideas to bear on what to do with this rape in cyberspace because the, the users that it happened to, some of them are women who've also been sexually assaulted in real life. And it's obvious from the piece that this isn't the first time something like this has happened. It is merely an incredibly egregious version of it mr bungle has like a disgusting like profile description like a like weird cum covered clown or something like that it was like honestly a little like stomach turning to read so it was pretty graphic and there ended up being these like very metaphysical mind body discussions about like what is the self and what is the self online that are really appearing in their first form here that are now sort of the unresolved questions that undergird the majority of the conflicts that we have today over identity and the internet. The, the one thing that I think is like really interesting and sort of a backdrop that doesn't really get explicitly mentioned in this piece, but you see it as late. So you, you definitely see it in the early 90s and all descriptions of like MUDs. But you also saw Gaia online specifically that, you know, you mentioned in, in other forums is like the suspension of disbelief um, mm-hmm. that everyone sort of agrees that if you enter an online space and you say, I'm a beautiful woman and your character is a beautiful woman, people are, are like, sure, I'm going to treat you based on your own self-description. And you also sort of see this in like, Julian's description of this space and it you know you would be forgiven for believing that it it had some kind of graphical interface but it doesn't it's purely text and a lot of people's descriptions and memories of these things are sort of like when you read a book like if you're reading Harry Potter and you imagine Hogwarts to have certain smells or textures or something that aren't explicitly described in the book and then sometimes everyone sort of has the same vibe and it's like, oh yeah, I, I pictured those wood paneled walls too, even though no one ever described it. Well, a similar thing happens both with characters who are the you know real people and these, these spaces, which I think is a really interesting dimension of it. And I think 
you know, speaking of present day conflicts, I feel like that kind of attitude and how there is, you can't really do that in real life. I think that that juxtaposition is one of the biggest conflicts that we have in our interpersonal lives today. Yeah, it's sort of the the Anon problem. I mean, I couldn't help but think about what little time I spent on Tumblr while reading this. And it was like people talking about, you know, when I was talking to Mary Harrington about this, she was saying that like, I think cancel culture is good because it creates firewalls between people. And like, we need more of that in order to be able to actually have space to discuss things. And I immediately saw that problem with the, with the bungle affair where it's people being like, these are my commitments. These are my commitments. These are mine. And they're all like kind of irreconcilable at some fundamental level. And it's unclear what the clearinghouse is going to be to decide like how this community should be constituted. It, it, it's weird because like all of these spaces really do need governance and it, it's not, and not every space gets it. Like sometimes there's like really strong gatekeeping and, and content moderation, but it's like, nobody kind of wants to admit that that's, it's just, it's just necessary. And if it is like, if you are in, you know, a, a space where everyone wants anarchy, like you just have to own it. It's going to be, it's going to be anarchy. And if you want a more authoritarian space, then it's going to be more authoritarian. But it is like they, you know, they are these sort of like self-contained states. Yeah. And it's sort of like, what's interesting is that there aren't even like regime types, really. It's just like the degree and like transparency of moderation seem to be what separates different like digital regimes. In this story, you have the wizards who are capable of these things, but have basically uh, gone to Galt's Gulch <laughs> at some point. And they're just like, we're not like, you guys figured out on your own, but then this happens and it's such a big deal that one of them comes back and basically comes up with like a ballot measure initiative way to adjudicate these things. They even come up with like some sort of like arbitrage court. And Julian points out that like, that's all well and good, but at some point, like Mr. Bungle just comes back as a different user after being banned. And like the community, despite all of this still feels pretty porous. It, that it, that brings up like a, another interesting point too, which is like, even though you're the same person and like you may even be the same person in that particular digital space, there's a part of you that's viewed as a different entity when you come back under a new account. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see, you see this on like Twitter all the time. Like people like really like mourn when a big account uh, gets shut down, even though they can come back as a, as a, new, as a new entity. It's, it's weird how it's like both that recognizes the same, but also kind of separate. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, like in your research, because I know you've been looking into this stuff pretty deeply, like how has, if you have any insight into this, like the formation of identity changed as the internet has developed in our use of it? It, so it seemed to be that it was much more common for people to hold this weird, you know, this, this weird sort of like conflict where like, I am me, mm-hmm. uh, but then I have my digital self. And if that digital self gets killed, the, the next one that comes out is 
a new character that might be related to the original character, but it's still, it's like a third thing. And I think like the most interesting expression of this I've ever read is um, in an old interview that Peter Ludlow, who ran the Alphaville Herald, which was a newspaper specifically for The Sims Online, and it turned into a newspaper specifically for Second Life, did with a, a scammer named Evangeline. Evangeline in real life was a 17-year-old boy, but in the interview, she speaks as Evangeline, and then she also speaks about the other Sims that she embodied. And it's so interesting because I know this person is a 17-year-old boy. There's no sort of like gender confusion or dysphoria there. Like he lives, you know, he was living his life as a, as a man is still to this day, you know, a man. Mm-hmm. But Evangeline is a separate thing that I see as like his property almost, or it's, it is him, but it's also like Evangeline is a woman. He, he, he both is and isn't her. And then the, you know, secondary characters are also like, they are both Evangeline, but they're also their own thing. Like he also played in an old woman and the old woman is her own entity, but she's also Evangeline. And you, but you see, there's a much more conscious sort of like grappling with that. You see, you know, you see it in this piece, you see it in the one I just described, you see it throughout um, Sherry Turkle's early work. But now it's like, we kind of forgot that. And I, I feel like there's all sorts of different kinds of like, trying to understand that like distributed self like is it dissociative identity disorder you know it, it's people it's if people are engaging in a more explicit role play like text-based role playing or something or they're on a video game those identities might be like well do I want to embody that in real life like you know it used to be where it wasn't uncommon that like a man would play a woman a woman would play a man but that wouldn't change who you yourself were in meat space it was mm-hmm. just you know, I like I always used to take a male avatar, for example, I was always a man online, but I wasn't a man like I was a, I was still a girl, but mm-hmm. I was just a man in this geography. And today, like, you know, I, I'm not confident that I wouldn't read so much into that where I would start asking myself, well, why am I a man on Twitter, but I actually but a woman on, you know, on my living room couch, and I would start quest, I would start questioning that. But before it was just like, no, sure. Like everyone, it does. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's, it's you, but it's also, it's a different kind of you. You know, this reminds me of um, a very early interview in uh, Justin Murphy's podcast, Other Life, where he was talking to Nick Land. I think it was one of the first interviews I listened to of Justin's and I was, (laughs) I was like driving around like the West side in a very very wealthy area so it just sort of has this decontextualized like mansion world suburbia feel as nick land is talking about how the moment he realized the emancipatory potential of what he thought the internet was going to be died was when facebook came out strictly on the name because it was facebook it was like who you really are and he was like oh no (laughs) They got us. And I think the major platforms have really reshaped what we see in the origins of this like distributed self that happens online into something that is in some spaces more representative or closer to who someone is in real life and in other places just as anonymous. And so it's almost like we have this multipolar world now of the distributed self. Yeah, I think I think you're right. You know, as as you're like describing this, I mean, really, it's like the 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 Twitter anons who are passionate about you know like 
space fags, if you, you know, if you will, yeah. uh, <laughs> who are the only ones who are like keeping the spirit alive. But then, I, you know, as, as you're speaking, I'm thinking like, but they also punish people by, you know, sort of invoking their their meat space self like i like i've certainly been punished a few a few times because it's like well you're your default friend but aren't you actually dot 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 and they they do that to people and it's not really it's not quite doxing like it's like for me it's not doxing because my real identity is out there in the world but it's like this sort of like i think it's it's like a it's a weird it's 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 a weird form of like kicking someone off the off the the mud like no, mm-hmm. like you don't get to be, you, you know, you don't get to be Exu anymore. You don't get to be Mr. Jess anymore. You don't get to be whoever. You have to be your your actual self is who you are in the in the physical realm, and we're banishing you. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking about this. So Fox Green over at Space Commune sent me this. I think it just came out. Either way, it'll be out by the time this episode debuts. Or if not, you can go look for it. And it's sort of like a it's a compilation of interviews he did with me and several other people over the course of the last year for the podcast, their podcast, I'm sort of organized by chapter and talking about energy politics. I was very flattered to be included on it, but what popped up was the episode art he made for my interview around this time, I think last year, and it had the little icon I used to have, the avatar I had when I was dumb classics guy. (laughs) And I, I remember thinking like, Oh yeah. Like I forgot that that was like this sort of gag I was playing, but also that like figuring out what I wanted to be, who I wanted to be publicly, like how all that worked. Like I was always sort of riding the fence between being a non to some degree, you know, or am I going to put my face in my profile or, you know, like who do I want to be in this space? And to me, I think that that's what's different is that there are more like definite categories to sort yourself in, even if you can permutate like within that category. I, yeah, I think you're. I think you're right, and I also think that your people are less willing to play along at times too. Like to go back to like the mud example, like if you say that you know you're a, a seven foot tall elf or something, right? Like no one's gonna say you know, you're not, you're not an, you're not an elf. They, do they just accept like you're, you know, you're an elf and we mm-hmm. might perceive your personality differently, but you are what you say you are, but you, it, that does, it doesn't really work quite the same. Like it, you see it sometimes like but you need a certain amount of like textual charisma yeah. Um, in yeah, today's definitely. online spaces, but like, it's, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's an interesting thing, like how willing people seemed to perform and, and treat it like improv almost, or like it was more, obviously a space for play where it feels like both everything and nothing is play right now. Right. I call it the daily show problem. When I think about how Jon Stewart used to be like, look, I don't do politics or whatever. Like I just make jokes, you know, like the show that comes after mine is a bunch of puppets making prank phone calls. So like, I don't have the same standards as like a news organization had. And that was always like just a little bit just disingenuous because of like the obvious news function that the Daily Show has come to, to play as more of media has come to look like entertainment selling you news. And I think that that's like part of the problem that the we run into now with our online identities. Like there are just different expectations, you know, depending on where you are. 
like if you're on so the like radically anonymous one is still like whatever 4chan boards are still going on where it's like who is anybody there like what when i look back on the time i spent on b or whatever first of all i'm like amazed that it did not have a more deleterious impact on me than it did but it was like is that even a community like what the fuck is that i mean i i think i look at like some something like crystal cafe or lol cow which you know two other anonymous image boards and i, I mean i'm more familiar with them so like i feel more confident speaking on them than like 4chan but their community is like you don't you don't know people necessarily, but there's sort of like a spirit of the community that exists. And if you mm -hmm. violate the norms, you know, you, you get in trouble. Like there, you know, there's definitely like rules on like LawCal, for example, like you could get banned if you do any number of things. And then sometimes you kind of get a feel for who people are based on their, their typing style. And there's like, you hang out on certain threads and it's weird. It's like, you know, it feels like anything goes, but the kind of anarchic nature of it, like, its own rules and hierarchy kind of emerge, even though it's totally faceless, totally nameless. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that sort of comes out in this piece in that, you know, this isn't like a real mansion. This isn't, some of these people live in New Zealand, some of them live in the United States in the Dibble article. It's not exactly the same and this is one of the things that dibble wants to talk about the difference between virtual reality and real life vr versus rl is that there's also just what seems to be like <laughs> to use a very contemporary term like a vibe that makes that move what it is and has attracted these people it has this geist this spirit as you say and like when you're on Twitter, that vibe is like at least semi-professional. Like even if you're in a non. Yeah. You know, like that's just what's what's happening I, there. I think it's because it's like people are 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 playing more. Like I I interviewed someone recently about like Club Penguin or Habbo Hotel or something. I don't remember which one, but he was saying how like he would do like text-based role plays that were like about the military in you know, in Habbo Hotel, which doesn't have any military items. So they were like repurposing already fictional items and, you know, in yet another way. And it's just so much like when, you know, like your your kid brother or something takes your Barbie doll and that's a sword and it's like it's already <laughs> a toy, right? Like, yeah. And, but you, you can't, you can't do that. You know, you can't do that on, on like Twitter or or Facebook or or Instagram or or even or even TikTok. What's another like really interesting thing is like if when you read interviews from people who are in MUDs or even if you like talk to them today, they describe it as though like if the the MUD was a mansion, they describe it like, oh yes, like and it was so beautiful. Well, what are you what are you remembering? And with and even a step further there's been like psychological studies done where like people actually project something both in like text-based relationships and in these muds where it's like they, what they imagined is sort of like what their actual memory and experiences, even if there was literally nothing there, which is like really mind boggling. That is mind boggling. Like what do we, I guess the question I'm really dancing around here 
is like this is um, you know this is such a like big and maybe like dumb question but i think it's really it's the sort of the foregoing one is like what do we do with this at this point like it's not new anymore so i think we should stop treating it that way but like what are what are the ramifications of that like who are we becoming i don't think anyone i mean there's i i, I think like to to come to those kinds of answers like more people need to think of the internet as important because I just feel like so many of these questions are like you know like reintroduced into like how we view history you know how we view our identities the you know the news there's there's so many like dimensions of it and it's like we we don't remember like this is how it used to be this is how this is how it was we've been we've been curious about these same questions for a very long time it's been totally lost mm-hmm. yeah I mean, I think it was the the account Christopher Lash's Angry Ghost was tweeting about like how weird it is to watch movies from the late 90s because aesthetically they're pretty contemporary, even prescient. But the way in which the characters operate, sort of the assumptions of the life world of the 90s remain. And so there's this like weird, almost dysphoria, social dysphoria you have watching those things. And like, that's how it felt reading this stuff about the Moo. Where I was like, this is the same, but it isn't in a way that sort of like unsettles me. And I immediately start to ask more profound questions about what the internet even is. And like you said, it's like, we just keep hitting the refresh page. Like, somehow our thinking of the internet has just like remained at stage one yeah it's i and i don't i don't understand like i don't i don't know if i just don't have like the knowledge of history like maybe it you know all things like are kind of get kind of stuck in this way but if i mean it if i would hazard a guess i think like the internet like might be like unique in like our inability to like really reckon with its power and to like evolve our thinking on it so let me ask you this, because you do, I think, some of the most thoughtful work on the internet. What would it mean, do you think, if we were going to start taking the internet seriously? Like, how would we do it? Or, or what would the implications be? So I would, I, to start, I would think of the, so the, we have like two conflicting visions of the internet right now, which is like, you know, it's either a place of it's very ephemeral and trend-based and you know addiction and maybe we treat it like a game and that's and you know you see you see this internet culture reporters have like kind of uh, pushed back on this it's like why you know why do their pieces get like banished to the style section when really it's like it, they're they're more profound culture pieces there's certainly trends that happen and come and go but you know, there's one part of us that think of it like that. And we also kind of put memes in that same bucket mm-hmm. too, right? Like, you know, from, from cats to, to Pepe, like it all is sort of like, well, it's, it's very unserious. And then the other, you know, then we also think of it as like, well, it's unserious, but it also can like brainwash us. And you, that's in a lot of like political reporting, a lot of the conversation ar- around radicalization, which I think it's, you know, I've said many times, I think it's like very broken, you know, porn sometimes. I mean, like I've certainly like 
I've certainly been like, oh, this is an evil tool when talking about porn myself, but there's no, like, I think it might be healthier or like at least more useful to think of it as like the internet is a place. It's a, it's maybe like, maybe think of it like the astral realm or something. Like, I know that sounds kind of silly, but like, we need to think of it like this is a place where things happen and there are lighthearted things that could happen here. And there are more serious things that could happen here, but it's its own, it's its own geography. And it has like slightly different rules, but we could probably like compare those rules to the ones we have in, in real life a little bit. So like, for example, you know, who you are in, like, you're not literally a different person if you present differently in like the workplace and you present differently at home and then you, you know, present differently. Like when you go to a bar, maybe like trying to condition people to think of it more that than sort of like there's there's some like lack of like definition about like the the possibilities of the internet like because we don't really know what it is right like we I think if we thought of it more like a place it might start uh, we might start getting a better handle on like what it means to be online and what it means for our identities and self conception like can you really be anyone you know is it really virtual reality like what like you know what's what's actually going on here and I don't think we necessarily have to like follow the same rules that we had in the early 90s. But, you know, maybe we can say like we acknowledge like we used to view it this way, but now actually it makes more sense to view it this other way. But we don't ever have that conversation. It's just kind of like we forgot what we used to do and we're just we keep on moving. And like you said, like we just keep hitting the refresh button without like considering what the, the larger history or narrative is. Yeah, I think there might be a few reasons for that, because I think that's spot on. Like first, like, I mean, this is such an obvious point, but it dawned on me while you were talking where I was like, okay, so like, basically what we're saying is the internet is a place where life bears out, meaning it has all the diversity of experience of everyday life. For the most part, you might be missing certain tactile elements of it, but there's sorrow, there's joy, et cetera, et cetera. It's just weirder because certain like physical rules don't obtain and sort of maybe like artificial social cues built into those physical rules can't obtain. And then on the other hand, it's not like the internet isn't, at least in the American experience, like public. And it doesn't have institutional memory. What we're doing right now is almost sort of creating a commentary that is an attempt to establish some sort of institutional memory of the internet. This is how like Moo governance worked on one Xerox server over this one contentious issue in 1993. And here's how we think it impacts or informs our lives today. But it's unclear how to have that conversation in a broad sense to treat the internet as an institutional geography of human interaction. So there's there's a there's a few things here. I, I think people definitely try, but they're either these this kind of like commentary or you know history or memory is either locked up in academia, mm-hmm. um, for, forgotten about, or viewed as like fundamentally unserious. And it's 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 actually like the more I like watch certain videos or like read certain blogs, the more I'm like really surprised by like how, uh, you know, unseriously it, it is viewed. Like 
like for example like there's break the rules I don't know if you're you're familiar with it but if anyone listening isn't I kind of think of it as like the view you know they always bring on a they always bring on a couple of guests They either have like a debate or discuss sort of the topics of the day and it's you know it's it's run by two guys Gio and Lev and while they they don't always talk about like internet-based things a lot of their issue a lot of the issues they do discuss are like based in stuff that's happening online and they're doing like pretty interesting I think like you know documentation of the you know the virtual world but I don't think you know it's 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 respected in, in one sense but like my my sisters wouldn't know what it is or like my my mom wouldn't know what it is and it's mm-hmm. it, but it, they're doing like really important work and I don't think like a journalist would say it's important work but I think it you know it really is it's just a different you know it's the like if if I do compare it to like a talk show it's like some talk shows are local some are are national and this one is for cyberspace and the you know the other thing I wanted to point out is I, I think like people are starting to sort of get an inkling of this, like I was reading this book about TikTok and, you know, China has like long said, like, you want to control, you want to control culture, you control cyberspace, you know, so there's, there's, there's that end of it. And then I think it was like the founder of TikTok or maybe like the CEO or something said that building TikTok is like building a country. And like, if you want to create a successful social platform, you have to view it like it's a country. And an important piece of that is like, you can't just be about free speech or like this is for people who like X, you know, X niche or X hobby. Like you need to have an economy and you need to have governance. And that's what makes social platforms successful. Not any of this other stuff. All of that other stuff is incidental. Like, you know, you could do it if you, you know, it's so what if you sing? So what if you dance? Like, you know, so what if it gives you this feature or that? If you can't monetize and there's no economy, you know, it's not enough even just to be famous. Like you need you need something else going on for it to be successful. And I don't think this totally bears out 100% of the time. There's plenty of counterexamples, but I think like there's something to that perspective as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Like, I mean, part of it's also, this is why we've become, especially um, Canada, Mike and I on the show, interested in the, medieval world's confrontation with the onslaught of information of early modernity. Because we have, you know, there are different, like China has its own dynastic issues with its bureaucracy and how it expands and how they keep track of stuff too as well, which is, I think there's an interesting history book coming out about that. But we have had this sort of experience before in human history and I think that this, this founder that you're talking about of TikTok is right, is that you just have to institute some sort of regime of this is what gets valued here. This is what its economy is. And these things will get forgotten or pushed to the wayside or be there. And the internet is, as this social space, so huge that it creates like problems of epistemic organization that are orders of magnitude bigger than what our forebears experienced. And so maybe that's another thing that's happening here too. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think like we're not, we're not like equipped to, to handle just like one, how much information there is, but, but two, like, how, you know, what, like how we're receiving it, how, uh, 
you know, how it's being distributed. There's, there's like, so there's so many other questions that it's just like, like, how could we, like, how could you live your life and, and, you know, get used to this? It's just so radically different. One thing I was, I've been like wondering as, as we've been talking is like, are, can we find answers and like, even looking at like fantasy books that have some kind of like astral realm or spirit world, right? Mm. Like, is, is, I, you know, or religions even like, are those sort of rules worth looking at when we think about the internet where it's like it's this layer that's sort of like always on you know the curtain never really closes but you're not always there but whatever happens there can kind of always impact you and you don't really know when and you're it's not always it's not always transparent but I don't know I don't know if that's actually that's a good idea that's like the dumbest thing I've ever said it's like sort of like uh Dante's Divine Comedy where it's like you go down to the reddit boards first and then like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> move up as you go into like purgatory no but I, I i understand what you're saying like what you're basically asking for is there are there any predecessors for a way to model how to think about this which i think is a serious question to ask because at the end of this piece there's julian dibble does this meditation on how as somebody who's a bystander that just stumbled into this conflict and then had to sort of go back and interview people to figure out what happened because it was all unfolding in real time, how that changed his understanding of what rape might mean. Perhaps it's not just a bodily phenomenon. Perhaps this was uh, this textual violation, this digital violation is, if not on par with the physical experience of sexual assault, closer cousins than thought before. And then that created deeper questions to ask, which is to what extent, and this is the most disquieting, I think, does the digital experience start to erode the border between word and deed that we've inherited from the enlightenment? And Dibble says this not as somebody who's encouraging this way of thinking, but saying that pondering that type of question is built into the experience of spending a lot of time in the mud in the moo and the other you know the other thing is and i i I see this all the time when i talk to people about tumblr but this is also like documented in a lot of like interviews of people who spent like 40 hours a week on mud you develop like this sort of like myopia and it really does even though you're not actually, you know, physically moving, it does feel like, like you, you have memories of it, you know, it, it impacts you in, in the same way that like any other immersive experience impacts you. And it's, it's like, like we, we kind of think like, oh, it's just as easy as turning the computer off or it's like, you're not really sucked in, but it's like, it's kind of like when you watch a movie and you're like really in the universe of the film, except you're, you're now participating. And it doesn't ever have to shut off until your body shuts off. And I think we like, we really take for granted, like how serious that is and like how, you know, how that really can have an impact on people. I don't know if like, I personally feel comfortable saying that like a text-based rape is the same as, you know, a physical, physical embodied rape. However, I, I do think it is very serious. It's a, it's just a different category of harm and we shouldn't just laugh it off because if you, have this kind of like internet induced myopia you are experiencing something we just don't have the language for it and we don't have the language for it to this day we still like kind of laugh it off or we 
uncritically are like, sure, this is, you know, words are violence without really examining what that could mean or why it could mean that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, like, the thing that seemed to worry Dibble to me was just what you're talking about right there, which is obviously this is not obviously, it seemed to him that this is in somewhere of the ballpark of a type of violation, but how to express that without it costing you other things that you hold dear. Some of those might be free speech, but also just understanding it as a type of harm because you don't want to cheapen the horror of, you know, real world assault. And that seems very difficult. And that doesn't just go for the horrible things that happen to us here, but like looking back on what type of experience the internet is or has been in my life, it's very strange to have memories of being on a version of Facebook that like doesn't exist anymore. And some of those memories being profoundly sad and some of them being a hurt, some of them being joyous. It's like I'm walking around with this museum of abandonware in my head at all times now. Yeah, I mean... Like I, early I, chat I, memories of the band Gorillas for their first album had a chat room. I spent hours in there as a kid. I have these weird fragments of memories from this dead website that doesn't exist you know, just hanging out in there. And it's, it's like, it's really, it's, it's like haunting. Yeah. Cause there, there's no really like revisiting it at all. Like it's just gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's interesting. I think like maybe one of the only that at least I know of only fields that may have like really in, investigated this is like fan studies. Like, you know, when people get really upset, like that a character in a TV show died, you know, like, how seriously should we take that? Like if they're super fans, like at to what extent is that a real loss to them? And should we just laugh it off? And should we just call them pathetic? Like if they're going to conventions, if they're writing, uh, you know, fan works, if, you know, if, if they're, you know, involved in like a whole identity and economy around a TV show or a book, like, is it like, is that a real harm? And how do, you know, how do we, how do we interact with that? How do we, how do we think about that? Right. You know, like what's the difference between that and when I like sobbed uncontrollably for like an hour when Helen Burns's character died in Jane Eyre, <laughs> you know, like it's a worthwhile question, you know, it reminds me of something that you said a while ago, you were talking about the idea of a trigger warning or a content warning. And you brought up a point that I had never heard before, but finally spoke to some misgivings I felt about simply deriding that concept. And you were like, look, if you're on Tumblr and like shit is just popping up on your feed, like it seems courteous to forewarn somebody after they hit refresh that if they scroll down, they might see something they don't want to see. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the product of, you know, not having strong enough filters. And it's, it's, it's the etiquette of the platform that for some reason got translated to the etiquette of the real world. 
Right. And that's where it starts to get very strange because it's like, what do we do with, I mean, in some ways this goes like, it just, just drills all the way down to it's like, why is life such a profoundly painful experience sometimes? <laughs> what can we do to stop that? Seems to be a lot of what this is about, you know? And etiquette plays a role in that. You yeah. Know, it lubricates the social machinery so that there is managed friction between people and it's not out and out hostility or conflict or whatever. That there is there are standards of regard that we have built in. And when I step back, I think the stuff about there being an American civil war or whatever, all that's overblown. What I do think is that we are now in this hyper-politicizing digital milieu that has feedback mechanisms with our real social experience that we don't know how to parse yet. And so we are living in a world that is in between etiquettes. And it's unclear if there's any way out of that conundrum for us. Yeah, I think I, I think that's an excellent, an excellent way to put it. I think you're I think you're exactly exactly right. And I, I think a big part of figuring this out is like, you know, we can't I, I think we need to like chill with like you know the American Civil War stuff, like mm-hmm. being brainwashed, the radicalization talk, or at least reframe it and like re, you know, re-understand those concepts. And then also we kind of just need to stop telling people to touch grass or like diminishing, like it's bizarre to me that like to this day we'll like diminish relationships formed off of dating apps or formed from websites, you know, or online friendships. Like we're past that. There is no, like there might, some people might have the benefit of in-person communities, but you know, even people who do have that, we have both now. It's just like your your Mm -hmm. work friends aren't any less real people. Right. They may not be as intimate and there's certain there's certain boundaries in that way, but they're they're still your friends and they still exist in your life. And it's different person to person. But no one would ever say like, oh, like you met her at work is like, are you sure you guys are friends? Like it, it's like you would say, oh, would you share something that intimate or like be careful because of HR, or, like whatever. But that's a real person and your online friends are real people. And it's just, it's, it's different. Like they might be more ephemeral in some ways, but they're, it's real, it's real life, even though it's in this different, this different space that we interact with, with our senses in a much different way. Yeah. It's funny. You know, I think like one thing that surprisingly it got me to think differently about life online was working and living in a tourist trap like Santa Fe, New Mexico. And it happened, I was talking with a friend who said, you know, all of us who work near the plaza are just NPCs for the tourists. You know, he's like, that's your job. You give them the quest. You tell them where the museum is. (laughs) Like you are not the main character of whatever this experience is. And then somebody else, like maybe even the same day, it was very eerie, said, you know, there's a local gas station chain in New Mexico called Allsup's. And he said, Allsup's is where the locals go, go to save their game. And when I thought about that, I was like, yeah, that's definitely true. You're both there and sort of like this sideshow part of what's happening if you're not a tourist there. But it got me thinking about like where socialization happens and 
what those relationships mean in the digital world. You know, like once my real life could be put into the context of like roles in a video game, I then had a bunch of questions about doing it vice versa. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of scary when you think about it because I think we just like haven't we haven't been conditioned to like view it in any like serious way. So we sort of like, so it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, we're, I, I think it's like very disarming to realize like, oh, it's, it's just a different, it's a different place. Yeah. We're just living a different, a different life here. And what do I do with all of these extensions of me that there have been? What do I do with the version of me whose AOL handle, I shit you not, was emo viber at age 12? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I mean, not this, this is probably a whole different episode and a whole different conversation, but then it's, think of how many, you know, parts of yourself that have been destroyed. Like, I'm sure you've also had this experience of like, oh no, I have too many accounts. I have to like delete them or like, I need to wipe my timeline or deleting Facebook accounts because it's just like, there's just too much crap on it. You know, photo bucket accounts that just get lost forever. Mm-hmm. Well, right. I mean, that's the, that's the big, the big thing about why the end of Blade Runner, the movie has become a meme. You know, when the Android is describing, like, I've seen all of these things and when I die, they'll all pass like tears in the rain. Like, is this as if I never existed? And it's almost like, yeah, all of these things will pass as if they'd never happened. And it's already, that's already happening. Like, no one knows what um, a mud is. Very few people, you know, Julian DeBell used to be one of the most famous journalists there were, right? Like, how yeah. many people, how, how many people know who he is? Right, exactly. Or like, why, like, how the fuck am I going to explain Zanga to a Zoomer? <laughs> That's, yeah there's there's so there's so many things or like photo bucket which you know like i just mentioned like oh rip r.i.p man <laughs> yeah it's it's like inger but like everyone liked it like i mean i don't like i don't know like what you would how you'd even describe it no and i think this is helpful though because it brings us back to our question of like why does it always feel new And just in this moment, we have, if we're taking seriously, that on these platforms, you are a different version of yourself, that if not wholly new is not wholly separate either. And the user interface, the experience of there makes that version of you what it is in large part. And those things go away and there's high turnover. It feels like many deaths. Like that's a lot of that's like dog years time passing. Right. Like the, I mean, like the other question would be like, you know, is cyber, you know, cyberspace one place or is Twitter a place, Discord's a place or like, you know, individual servers on Discord are places, you know, like at what, like, is it a whole universe? Is it just a world? Like what, like when we say it's a place, like, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, because I always think about like how there are 
like the like the Russian version of Facebook where people could just like pirate shit all the time. <laughs> that sounds like it rules, um, you know? And like, that's it's totally wholly different experience of what that is, even if it's modeled off of it. And so then there are all these other questions of like, this space is tied to a specific global region or a specific nation, but it is this diffuse thing built on top of that as well. That seems under thought of. We take the internet more and more for granted now as just this open terrain, while it's also been, that's never been true, but it's also been like siloed in very different ways now too. Yeah, that's, it's it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's a little bit scary when you really, it's like, now I'm sort of thinking of like the vastness of like outer space, you know, like there's something just like very overwhelming if you really think about it. Oh yeah, totally. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. All the GeoCity sites I've been to, where did they go? They're gone. Well, yeah. some of them are archived, I'm sure. Some of them are on the way back machine. I'm sure, even, but even if I could remember, you know, I right. don't think I could get back there, but it is incredibly vast. And I think it speaks a lot to human potential that we can be so many of us while we are on these different platforms, but it also, you know, I keep coming back to the word disquieting. It leaves me at a loss for how we're going to understand who we become. And especially if I think about how we hand down our society to younger generations, because one of the things that's uh, disturbing to me about the internet, in addition to the fact that it, you know, it's engine oil is like, female pain is the way that it has like it builds in or has it very much enables just like the neglect and predation of young kids like and i mean yeah. that in all types of ways i don't i don't mean just that there are like perverts on the internet that like end up doing that's all true i'm talking about a much more mundane ways where it's like what do the algorithms do to teenage girls and like stuff like that? Right. Or like, what is, you know, what are the implications of like your play space and your, you know, imaginative, imaginative, imaginative engagement. Sorry, I'm stuttering all over the place now. Just being like totally text-based or like being, you know, happening in like a YouTube comment section or something, or some kind of news feed or on TikTok. Sometimes I think like some really great things can come out of that. And we're not, we're like pretty shy about pointing those out. Like I see a lot of like really interesting expressions of play happen on TikTok, like especially with kids. I think that there's probably a lot of artists and writers that have been born from role-playing and like, you know, there's, totally. you hear people talk, talk about like their Neopets experiences are often like very positive. But then it's like, we don't, we, we also still don't really know how to parent besides like, oh, parental controls. Like, are there other forms of parenting that happen online? Like, you know, why don't parents go online with their kids? I mean, that might, you know, that might be, that might be overkill, but like, is there sort of like a digital equivalent of like letting your kid walk to school alone? You know, things like right, that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What type of digital neighborhood is it? You know? 
is another one. Yeah. I mean, I think to me, that's the one that I think about most these days is, you know, there's the in, I think it's in Home Alone where the mom gets stuck with uh, John Candy in his like polka bands tour bus. They're called Sheboygan Polka. And she's headed back to go pick like return to her son, Macaulay Culkin's character. And he says, kids are resilient. Of course, that's after he's told the story of how I think his child like saw a dead body and didn't talk for a week. Oh my God. (laughs) You know, so that's the punchline. And like, that seems to be like our default position on this right now. And I think it brings up profound social questions about what we might owe each other as people participating in society that the internet introduces and complicates at the same time. In part because of some of the problems that come up in a rape in cyberspace. When Mr. Bungle comes back in as, what is it, Dr. Jest? He was Mr. Jest, possibly. Well, it was one or the other. One or the other. But logged back in as this Jest character. And people don't really know what to do about that. (laughs) They don't really know. Like, how do you have enforcement against somebody getting a different internet provider so they can get another account? You don't really have that. And that's one of the ways where it's, it is real life. It's like our everyday life, but not quite. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I want, I, I, I'm, I'm very curious about when we'll ever figure out what to do with it. Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's been, it's been 30 years and we still like, I think, you know, 30 years from the point when it really became something where it's like feasible, like, you know, your brother's online and, you know, like you have your neighbors are online, maybe you're not, but it's becoming more and more of a commonplace thing. And we still, we have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, we have no idea. So listeners, we're going to leave it there on that absolutely conclusive and authoritative note. (laughs) DF, thanks so much for joining me again. This was a great time as always. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. All right, guys, you'll be hearing from us next week. We've got some fun stuff coming up. So stay safe out there.